What they don't know is, first of all, I'm Irish, right? So that's just an invitation, you know. Secondly, I'm six foot four and 270 and have decades of martial arts training. Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to kick my ass, just book an appointment, right? Um, but anyway, I, uh, I was really, there was a point there where I really considered shutting down the site just because of all the um, horrible stuff that I was getting. That was Lewis Cahill describing some of the darker days of G&G. I know I say this a lot, but I think this might be my favorite episode of all time. Geek and Gasoline today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I want to give you a quick shout out to our uh, member-supported uh, podcast group. If you head over to wetflyswing.com slash members, you can support this podcast for a super low price, about the, si- about the price of a cup of coffee. I want to thank you in advance if you've already had a chance to uh, become a member. Lewis Cahill, founder of Gink and Gasoline, goes deep into the history of how it all came to be about 10 years ago after sneaking into IFTD and connecting with Bruce Chard. We discover which podcast Lewis and I have in common. Hint, Will Arnett is in it. Who Bojack Horseman is and a little on uh, his home water in Georgia. I could talk to Lewis for hours uh, today, so um, I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Angler's Coffee roasts a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. And I'm one of those anglers who's been loving Angler's Coffee. Great tasting, robust, and good to go. They just released a new subscription program, and you can get 20% off this box and all products at anglerscoffee.com. Just use the coupon code WETFLYSWING at checkout to get 20% off of great coffee today. That's anglerscoffee.com. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that are second to none in quality and can be customized for that little extra touch. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net today. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly to get started right now. Uh, without further ado, here is uh, Lewis Cahill from GinkAndGasoline.com. How's it going, Lewis? Good, man. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, this is this is awesome. Thanks for, uh, you know, this has been kind of another one of those long time coming. I've been wanting to get you on here and chat about the whole uh, Gink and Gasoline empire you have going there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> before we jump into all the, the background of the Gink and Gasoline, uh, just tell me how you first got into fly fishing. All right. First of all, you forgot evil. It's evil empire. Oh, evil. There you go. Nothing without the evil. Um, I got into fly fishing when I was a kid. I was like eight years old. And um, I had, I fished as long as I can remember. Like I'm, you know, when I was tiny, tiny, but I didn't even have a fishing rod. I, I just had a spool of fishing line and hooks and I would sit out on the dock and just hand line stuff. My, my granddad had a, uh, had a lake house. Um, on a, a lake in Virginia called Smith Mountain Lake, which is a it's a big posh thing now. But um, the house he built was one of the first houses up there. It was and it was very modest and it's it's a huge lake. Nobody was there, and I would sit on the dock and catch brim and stuff like that. And uh, then one day, my grandfather was I'm pretty sure on the way to the trash can with an old bamboo rod that <laughs> was just jacked up, and he must have seen me and said, "Here, you want this?" 
Um, and I fished that rod. He took me out in the backyard with a dinner plate, you know, and showed me basically how to cast and said, put the fly on the plate. Of course, I was lucky to put the fly on the yard, you know, but, um, but I had that bamboo rod. It was an old, uh, seven weight, um, with a, it was so jacked up that I didn't realize until I was an adult that the stripper guide was a paper clip that had been <laughs> tied on with like kite string. And uh, I fished that rod until I was, I think I was in my 20s sometime when I backed over it with a car. <laughs> and that, that was the end of that. I still have it, but it's, I tried to fix it, but it's yeah. all, all jacked up. So um, anyway, that's how I got started. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So the, the bamboo rod and then. And then, so how do you go from, you know, basically that's that whole thing into, and then when, when does the geek and gasoline uh, idea come to be? Well, it's a, uh, so it's a little bit of an arc. So at that point when I jacked up the old bamboo rod and I, I was, I went and looked at, oh, well, you know, let's get a new one. And of course I had no idea what fly rods cost. And, uh, I was just poor as <laughs> how do we use adult language in your podcast? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Use whatever was, you want. That was poor as shit. I had no <laughs> money, and um, and so there was no fly rod in my immediate future. And so at the time, I had moved from small town of Virginia um, down to Atlanta, and uh, I, I came down here and went to photography school. I was a uh, I was a newspaper photographer at the small town newspaper. I started out with a paper route and kind of worked my way up to being a photographer. Um, but I wasn't very good at it. And I, um, eventually ended up losing that job, which kind of stung a little bit. And so I managed to, um, fortunately through some of my dad's VA benefits, um, paid for photography school for me. So I came to Atlanta with a friend and, um, we rented an apartment down here, went to photography school and I got completely, consumed by that. And uh, when I got out of school, I took a job as an assistant working in a um, commercial photography studio. And it was I was just slave labor. I, I worked literally 80 to 100 hours a week um, for $50 a day, you know, and there were wow. there were there were plenty of times I, w- I worked 36 hours straight without even going home, you know. Jeez. And uh, yeah, it was brutal. Um, and, and I made no money, but I learned, I learned my craft, you know, and then, uh, I, uh, making a long story kind of short after that, I, um, I went out and started my own business, started my own studio and, um, that, you know, like all new businesses struggled for a few years and then it kind of took off and was successful. And, um, that kept me pretty occupied up until the, um, sort of the late nineties and, um, then business started slowing down advertising business in general started slowing down and I had more time on my hands. And so I, um, I still, the only fly rod I had was, you know, this old broken bamboo that I'd put back together. And I saw a, I had gotten into woodworking. I had an old, uh, Chris craft boat that I was rebuilding. And, um, that had sort of gotten me into buying some hand tools and getting into woodworking. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was at the hardware store and I saw a sign for a class. So this fellow who still one of my dear friends, Gary Lacey, who's a bamboo rod maker, was teaching a class and making a bamboo fly rod. And so I went in and I, it was a really expensive class. Um, and I probably could have afforded to do it. But I talked my way into doing some photos for the hardware store in exchange for taking this class. Hmm. Um, and that turned that 
that ended up being kind of a turning point in my life in a couple of ways because I made this rod, which then once again got me back into fly fishing. Um, and it also started to be on this path of woodworking, which led to some other stuff. The uh, Some people know this, but not a lot of people that I, um, I make custom guitars. Oh, and wow. so that, so it kind of ended up going in that road too. That's a, that's a, my, my other life. But I, I started getting really obsessive about the fly fishing and, um, I'm kind of, I've always been kind of a workaholic. You know, my wife says that I'm really good at taking things I love and turning them into work, which she does not mean as a compliment. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. But, but I'm kind of that way about something. I can't stand to do anything half-ass, you know? Yeah. So I got really obsessed about the fly fishing and like, I've got to learn how to, do, I've got to, you know, I really I remember, you know, saying, I you know, really want to be a badass at this, you know, just for no reason other than, um, I don't know, maybe it's self-loathing. If I do something halfway, I feel really bad about myself. So I started fishing an insane amount. You know, I was, I was fishing, um, I don't know, 150 to 200 days a year, just, yeah. you know, just as a, as a dude out on the stream, that's a, that's a lot of days. <laughs> and, um, you know, I kind of slowly learned what I was doing, you know, and then I, I, I sort of backed into the business. I, um, I met I met a dude named Kent Cleewine. I mean, Kent was my original partner in Gink and Gasoline. He and he left a couple of years ago. So Kent hasn't been around for a while, mm -hmm. but um, he was a guide and a really talented angler, really technical, really good technical angler. And um, he and I met and started fishing together. And he had a website and a local, you know, kind of blog, Southeast Fishing blog that, you know, was created just to drive business to his guide service, you know, but he got a lot of traffic and people dug it. And, um, so I started taking pictures, you know, carrying a camera and taking pictures while we were out fishing. And, um, I put some on my website, just my commercial photography website, lewiscahill.com. And, um, it, it sat there. I didn't, you know, do anything with it. I didn't promote it in any way. And, um, they put a link on moldy chum oh, yeah. with, with some of my photos and all of a sudden it just exploded and people started um, like, you know, fly fishing manufacturers and magazines started calling me to buy photos that were on my website, you know? And nice. at that point I started getting a lot of traffic from people who just wanted to look at fishing pictures, you know, and that website was not a great venue for that. It didn't really serve that need very well. So Kent and I were doing all this stuff and I was selling a bunch of pictures of him and he was using the photos on his website. So we had this idea to, you know, let's just do something bigger. Let's, you know, let's work together and create a site that's more, you know, nationally oriented. You know, we'll take some trips. It's an excuse for us to like take some trips to fish and yeah. do some stuff like that. And we're like, if, if we could do well enough at this to like pay for us taking a couple of fishing trips a year, you know, then we're stoked. Right. Yep. Um, so we, so we started gink and gasoline and, um, we had no, we were so innocent just <laughs> at the time we were, we had no idea a, what we were doing or B who was going to care. You know, we just started yeah. doing it. And it, at the time I had, I had started because I was selling photos to manufacturers and stuff. I started going to IFTD, you know, and I was super fortunate the first, my first year at IFTD, actually it was my second year. The first year I lied to get into IFTD 
Yeah. I told him I was there covering it for a magazine and the editor was a friend of mine and backed me up on it. And uh, they let me in and I just stalked. I didn't talk to anybody. I just looked to see what was going on. Then the second year I went back with a little portfolio of pictures, you know, mm-hmm. and um, one of the first people I met at IFTD was Bruce Chard. Oh yeah. And um, Bruce and I just hit it off immediately. And we're st- Bruce is to this day is one of my best friends. Oh, and, cool. um, and Bruce, I showed him my little book of pictures and he got so stoked about it that, you know, Bruce knows everybody in the industry and he walked me around IFTD and introduced me to the marketing managers of every company, you know, and to all the guides and, you know, just, it was, it was an amazing opportunity that I had no idea at the time how much that was going to impact my life. What year was that? What year was that that you guys started it? Uh, Gink and Gasoline officially launched in 2011. Okay. Um, now we worked towards that goal for probably a year and a half before that. Yeah. So this you is know? basically 10, you're talking IFT. This is about like uh, 10, 11, 12 years ago. So yeah, this would have been IF, so IFTD 2011, we walked in and the site had just launched. Right. So IFTD was in August. The, the site launched July 4th, 2011. And so we printed some business cards and walked in and handed out business cards to, you know, everybody at IFTD. Hey, check this out. This is kind of not really thinking that we were promoting the site, but just going, hey, this is what we're doing. You know, go check it out. And um, so it took us a while because we didn't know what we were doing. I built the original site, which is a skill I do not have. <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> and and um, we didn't have any analytics. We didn't have any way to track it. And uh, so we. We finally, we hired a a developer to install Google Analytics and to set up a newsletter where you could sign up for newsletter. And um, I remember the first, when you sign up for the newsletter, you know, we get a little email that says, so-and-so just signed up for your newsletter. And I remember the first person who signed up for my newsletter was Simon Gosworth. Oh, cool. And I was like, wow. Wow. Simon is reading this, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's kind of, that kind of was like, wow. Okay. And we got the Google analytics up and we're a month and a half, two months in at this point. And there's 20,000 people a month looking at the nice. site. Yeah. So that it scared the shit out of us <laughs> <laughs> because we thought this was just going to be, you know, a casual thing. And we're like, holy shit. Now, not only are a lot of people reading this, but it's all people in the industry. Oh, you know, wow. we, we knew that by the newsletter sign up. So we're like, we have to do a really good job of this, you know? Yeah. So, so um, we had, I had taken a weekend workshop on how to run a successful blog. And they had said, well, if you really want the search engines and everything to pick it up, you have to post at least once a day for the first 30 days. Right. So mm-hmm. Kent is kind of of the same work ethic that I am. So we decided, all right, well, if 30 days is good, 60 days is better. So we made this commitment that we're going to post every day for the first 60 days. And we did that. And it was about that time that we got the analytics up and saw what was happening. We're like, holy shit, now we have to, we can't stop. So we posted every day since then, Hmm. Um, just because, you know, we were afraid not to for, for fear of looking like we weren't, you know, holding up our end of the bargain. So um, nobody was more shocked than us that it took off and sort of, you know, became a full-time job. Wow. 
Wow. So yeah. that, I mean, that, that I can just do the numbers really quickly. 10 years uh, and uh, every day is 300, uh, 3,650 blog posts. Is that, is that kind of what you guys have going there? Because that's, a, that's a shitload. It, it kind of is. Yeah. So right now, the, during this whole thing with my eyes, and I guess, I guess we'll talk about that oh, yeah. at yeah. some point. Um, but the, the computer, seeing the computer is still very challenging for me. So when this all started, I had no idea how epic it was going to be. I thought I was going to have surgery and I would be out of play for a month or maybe two, and then I'd be back in the game. I didn't realize that this was going to turn into a, you know, at this point, two and a half year ordeal. And um, so I called my developer up and I was like, you know, kind of panicking because, you know, I've got content through the next two weeks. I always kept about two weeks up there. And yep. I was like, so he went through and set up um, some automated stuff on the site where it would go back and I could tag a post to be recycled and it would go through and it would automatically recycle that. Right. right. So that I put out an announcement on the site like, hey, I'm having surgery. I'm going to be out of play. This is what's going to happen. While we're, while we're at it is that every day, you know, an old classic post is going to recycle. And with 3000 posts in the can, yeah. you know, it's man, they it come up things that I don't even remember. I know. Cool. <laughs> right. Come up. So we started doing that. And what we found from the response to it was that people loved it, you know? Um, so I decided uh, not to turn that off. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I went back through and I found all the posts that are kind of evergreen posts, the things that are about fishing techniques or experiential stuff, not product reviews or news related stuff, but things that will serve you well anytime you read them. Yep. And those automatically recycle and post every morning at 5 a.m. And um, I have not gotten back to where I'm able to to post something every day, but um, I've been trying to once or twice a week post a new post over top of that. Yeah. Um, and so that happens in the afternoon. So when, when I'm fully recovered and things are, are back to, you know, where they should be, then there'll be two posts going live on the site every day, a classic in the morning and a, um, and a fresh post in the afternoon. Um, and in addition to that, we're kind of, uh, we're ramping up the, uh, the YouTube channel, put a lot more energy into that in the last couple of years. And I'm going to be putting more energy into that. Um, and we're also starting a podcast, um, yeah. as, soon, as soon as I'm back on my feet, which I'm excited about. So all that'll be good because it's content that will be a little easier, I think for me to produce with my new visual situation. And, um, and also people really dig it because, um, although we have a lot of folks who, you know, who read the site and read every word, um, there's a lot more people who watch a video or listen to a podcast and will exactly. take the time to sit down and read something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I love, uh, I love that you're starting a podcast and going in on that because I know obviously doing this since 2017 and, um, you know, the work it takes and there have been a few podcasts that have been really good podcasts in the fly fishing space that have kind of pod faded, right. Is the word for it when you, yeah. when you, when you have it going and then, you know, and, and a really good podcast. So, you know, obviously, you know, as, as well as anybody, fly fishing is not the easiest industry to make, um, you know, if you're going to make a living out of it. Right. So it's, yeah. uh, and I think that's the challenge that uh, you got to really love it. And obviously you posting every day with Ginky Gasly, and I'm sure you're going to be super uh, successful with the podcast as well, because it's, it's the same <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> 
Thanks, man. I hope so. And I and there's going to be so hosting it is going to be myself um, and my buddy Dan Frazier. Do you know Dan? No. Uh, Dan is a he's a carp guy from up in South Dakota, but he's a he's a brilliant angler. He's also a, a you know great trout fisherman, a great saltwater fisherman. But he's known. He's written a couple of books on carp fishing. Oh yeah. And and he and he used to have a, a carp podcast and oh, is wow. known is known for that. And and Justin Pickett, who um, is a yeah. and gasoline contributor and also handles all the social media stuff uh we'll be on it too so it'll be the three of us um and we'll have you know a guest from somewhere in the fly fishing yeah universe you know each time and and i think it'll be cool i like that you know in fact i was going to give i occasionally do a shout out to a new podcast i love because i'm a self-proclaimed podcast addict not only do i do i uh, help people get into it have my uh, my own couple of podcasts and starting a third one but um you know, I just love all the ones out there. And a new one I just listened to is um, uh, Smartless. I was going to give a shout oh, out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I can't remember who told. I think it was um, I think it was Peter from uh, Cheeky. I think he mentioned, he was like, man, you got to check out Smartless. And I'll tell you what, those three guys, I'm addicted to it because it's like yeah. these three guys, they're super successful. They're super funny. And um, I-, I love the interaction, you know. So if you guys, I'm sure, you know, that interaction, you'll, you'll get a feel for it. But if it works anything like that, you guys are going to kill it. Yeah, Smartless is one of my favorites. I, yeah. I, I will listen to anything with Will Arnett. I know. It. So I'm a huge Bojack Horseman fan. Like oh, I don't know. I don't know how no. many people are you aware of Bojack? No. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not. It's a Netflix show and it's a it's an animated series and he's a horse. It's so oh, nice. well they they all have human bodies and then the heads of different animals. Amazing. You know? So he's he's a horse, Bojack Horseman, and he was a um he was a tv star he had a sitcom in the 80s he's basically like scott Bakula or some not scott Bakula. what's the, the oh, scott, yeah. scott bayo scott bayo oh scott bayo yeah right he's basically like or uh who was the guy from friends he, anyway he's that kind of character but oh yeah he, he's like a he's like a semi has been you know kind of semi celebrity yep. now i'm gonna get hate mail from scott <laughs> bayo. anyway um and He's just a burnout. He's an alcoholic. He's a clusterfuck, and he ruins yeah. everything he touches. It's very adult and very trippy. It's the it's one of the best things I've ever seen on television. But Will That's Arnett awesome. is BoJack. So whenever I hear his voice, I see BoJack. Oh and wow! Just, oh, it's amazing. Those guys. That's are cool. That's just, cool. I'll put a yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes out to that, and so hopefully I get a video or something. I love to put that in there when I can. So yeah, no, this is good. I'm excited for the podcast. When are you guys going to be launching this thing? Well, it'll be soon. We, I mean, we've done most of the lead work. We have a producer. We've recorded some ads. We've recorded intros and stuff. We have a logo design. That uh, Tyler Hackett from Wonder and Blue Lines. Do you know him? No. Well, I give a big shout out. If he is like my favorite fly fishing artist working right now, this oh, guy's cool. amazing. He's out in Salt Lake, and he does. It's all woodcut. He does all woodcut art, and he just has a feel for for fly fishing that just is, you know, uh, it's amazing. His stuff's so cool. So you can find him on Instagram at wondering blue lines. Um, his name's name's Tyler Hackett. And he's, he's printed t-shirts and stuff for us in the past. We do, I do a t-shirt for the bonefish school and he's designed that. And the the podcast is going to be called tales on tales. And um, he's done a, a great, awesome logo for that. Mm-hmm. So the, the only thing we're waiting on right now is for me really to get back to, you know, at least 75% or so before yeah. trying to Yeah. Well, back. the nice thing with the podcast is you don't have to, I mean, you could just record it, right? You can, uh, you don't have that's to necessarily, right. yeah, that's yeah. the, that's the great thing. And, 
have yep. your team have your team put together the whole thing. So okay. Well, this is good. I mean, obviously, I, I would love to talk podcasting for the next hour, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, want, I, I wanted to bring it back to uh, Gink and Gasoline and make sure. And I, I was just kind of thinking, you mentioned Kent. I know he's obviously his name's out there all over the place. What did, um, you know, he was there for quite a while, right? Like eight years yeah. or whatever. Why did he end up leaving? Well, you know, <laughs> it was what you touched on already. It was the reality of trying to make a living in the fly fishing industry. Yeah. So the, Kent and I are in different places in our lives. Right. Um, he's younger than me gotten, you know, having kids and, uh, you know, and trying to raise a family and a whole different level of responsibility. Me, I'm kind of like, I've, I've shut down a career already and am on the, you know, on the track towards retirement. And I, I'm, um, I don't know, man, I've never been motivated by making money. That's never been the thing that's motivated me and, and lo- a lot of it to my detriment, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm super fortunate that, you know, my wife has a great corporate job, which has provided us healthcare benefits while I'm going through all this surgery and stuff. Cause, oh, right. well, that would have sank me, Jeez, you know? Um, so that's all been, that's I'm super lucky for that, but I've never been motivated by making a lot of money. So I didn't get in this to make a lot of money, but Kent unfortunately was in a situation where he needed to make a living. Right. Yeah. And so he had an opportunity, um, to take a great job, um, that makes him a great income and supports his family and lets them enjoy a lifestyle that he was never going to see in fly fishing. And he hated it. It broke his heart. He was depressed as shit about it for the first couple of years because I've never, I've never known anybody so passionate about yeah. fly fishing, but, um, you know, it was just the reality of he had, you know, he had to step up and do what he had to do. Yeah, exactly. No, mm-hmm. no, thanks for, thanks for clarifying that. Um, and I did want to touch on the good, uh, the guitars as well, but let, let's, uh, just sure. back, yeah, back to King gasoline. So, you yeah. know, most of us, I think probably a lot of the people either have heard or, or read, you know, what you have going there. Um, but just describe it. What do you guys got going for somebody who's a kind of a newbie who doesn't know anything about gink and gasoline? Describe what, what you guys do over there. Sure, man. So the idea behind it was to be of service to the community, right? To to be of service to the fly fishing community. And I sh- I hate saying this, but I think so many people that get into um, whether it's blogging or it's the social media or it's YouTube or whatever in fly fishing, um, do it because they want to be famous or they want to <laughs> be, you know, yeah. nothing makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck, like calling me an influencer. Right. <laughs> that like just galls me. Like which I you are, that. which I'm you like, are, right. <laughs> like if you're, if you're influenced by me, you're making terrible fucking life choices. <laughs> right. You need Unless to- you want to start a super successful fly fishing. Blog. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that even means, but, yeah. You know, um, but the idea was we had all these guys that were coming and looking at the one to look at fly fishing pictures because originally I was just supposed to be the guy behind the camera. Right. That was that that was the whole original idea. And um, Kent was writing a lot of how to and technical stuff. And we're like, well, this is a great combination. People love to look at the pictures. They love to learn about fly fishing. So, you know, so we're going to put that out there and, you know it didn't really go much past that other than, you know, can we maybe sell some ads and make enough money to go fishing a couple of times. But the first three years, we didn't even have ad space to sell. We did it without making a penny for the first three years. And um, so what we do is every day 
we post some content that is either um, instructional, like here's how you do this particular type of fishing, or it's experiential. It's about the, the greater context of fly fishing in our lives and what that means to us. Um, or it's something just entertaining or funny, but it's, I've always said that I sell five minutes of fucking off at work, right? Yeah. Like if you're having a crappy day and you're into fly fishing, you can come to Gink and gasoline and find something that's going to make your day a little better. That's the, that's the mission. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And, and do you guys do, I know you have a lot of, I mean, obviously doing one post, I mean, that's amazing. First of all, right. Doing the uh, seven days a week, kind of crazy, <laughs> you know, most people are yeah. kind of, you know, one or two times a week and that's a full, a full deal. But so do you guys mix it up between super short stuff and super long? Do you have some really long form stuff as well? We do. In fact, I think that's one of the things that's kind of um, unique about Gink and Gasoline is that we there were a couple of rules that we broke right from the start. And, and you have to kind of have context that in 2011, when this started, fly fishing blogs were not what they are today. You know, there were a couple of people out there um, doing things that were really cool. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Stonefly starts the design process by selecting wood for the handle based on a number of key factors including grain pattern and depth, but they don't stop there. This piece of art is accentuated by strips of hardwood that complement and accentuate the handcrafted handle. To be honest, I have never been a huge net guy, mainly because I didn't feel like my uh, old collapsible net was easiest to use and was not easy on the eye, if you know what I mean. The Stonefly uh, net not only looks beautiful, but has high quality netting that is easy on the fish and will last for years to come. Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that's second to none and can be customized for a little extra touch. For Ethan, the founder of Stonefly Nets, fly fishing has always had a traditional feel going back to fishing the three-weight bamboo rod with his great-grandmother. When Ethan designs a custom net, it's his hope that others will create amazing lasting memories for years to come. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net now. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly, S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y to get started right now. Okay, now let's get back to the show. Take us back. So when you guys started 2011, yeah. who were the, do you know, like, what, I mean, there was Moldy Chum, there was uh, Mid Current. Were there any yeah, others? Mid, Mid Current, obviously. Yeah, were there, there others that were out there at the time? Yeah, so um, Moldy Chum was there and Mid Current was there. Um, and they were the most, I will, for lack of a better word, I will call them commercial sites that were yeah. out there. Um, and then the people that I was really paying attention to, there's Aaron Block out in Colorado had a site called Mysteries Internal, um, which I'm not sure if that's still live or not, but um, Aaron's moved on to more, let's say, serious writing yeah. um, at this point. Uh, Jason Tucker um, has the site Fontanellis Rising, oh. um, which I love and am, am really fortunate to, to um that Jason is a friend of mine and he was in Michigan and then moved of all things to Georgia. Um, and he and I knew each other online and then became good friends and actually fished together a lot of the, a lot. And he's a super talented writer. Matt Smythe had, um, the fishing poet oh, wow. um, was up and then, 
And then there was this really quirky little site, which is one of the best things that ever happened on the internet called fish beer. Fish. Do you beer. remember this fish beer? No. Yeah. Got a Matt, a guy named Matt Dunn, brilliant writer, brilliant writer. Um, but way out in left field, way out in left field. He, um, he would write these amazing fantasy pieces. Like he wrote this, this story about the, the commemoration of the Nixon presidential library that had Spiro Agnew out snagging salmon <laughs> in the river. Nice. And it was, I mean, his stuff was like, this guy had to be taking some kind of drugs. I don't yeah. know, but his writing was writing was brilliant. And, um, that's unfortunately gone. He, I think he became a beer brewer mm. actually. It's what he, it's what he does now, which is I think it's right on field. brand. Yeah. That's a great feel. But that was a, that was a brilliant site. Um, uh, there's a guy named John Toby that had a site called into the light. I'm not sure if that's still active or not, but another, another brilliant writer um, that did some, just some great stuff on fly fishing, both fiction and nonfiction. Um, what else was there? Yeah, anyway, I mean, that's about it. Yeah, that's about it. So, so why, you know, now again, we're back to 10 years later. I mean, why have you, why have you stuck around? You know what I mean? All these other great ones are, are kind of, have kind of faded away. What's kept you going? I'm stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. because I'll, t- I'll tell you, it's been a, it's been an arc. It's not, it's not been easy in a lot of ways. And I've, I've learned some lessons, you know, and if, if I was, it is a lot of work, right? Like, but I like to work. So I, that doesn't, that doesn't really bother me. You know, I sat on a, a panel one time about fly fishing blogging and, and uh, Tim Romano who runs angling trade is mm. also, also a yep. good friend was on that, was on that panel with me. And we were talking about that seven day a week schedule. And he said, he said, I don't know how he does it. Actually, that's wrong. I know exactly how he does it. And I want no part of it, you know, and Tim, Tim's one of the hardest working people I know. So I took that as a real compliment. Yeah. But, um, a lot of it has just been my stubbornness. But over the years, the, the, you know, the work has not bothered me. What has been challenging, um, if I was doing it again, I would not use my name. No kidding. You know? And at the time, we did that. Kent and I made, consciously made that decision, not because we wanted people to know who we were, but for us, because it, it was um, accountability. Like we stood behind. That was our point was we wanted to stand behind everything that we put online. You know, yeah. So, so we signed it. We put our names on it. And, and what do you um, mean by what do you mean by putting your names on it? I just, you, you know, you, Lewis, Lewis Cahill and Kent Cleewine, They're on the site. Yeah, because Gink and Gasoline. I mean, I think it, your name is synonymous with Gink and Gasoline. But you've, you know, most right. people say Gink and Gasoline, right? But I guess I see what you're saying. Yeah. So you guys, you That's wrote right. all the blog posts, your contents there. People when they go to the site, they know it's you. It was you too, as opposed to as opposed to some some uh, whatever else way you could do it. Yeah, exactly. So what happened was, it, here's the thing. I There are, I mean, we have about two and a half million people a year read the site, right? Those those, are, those numbers are a little old because I haven't looked at it recently, but that's, you know, that's about where we are. And of those people, the vast majority of them are awesome human beings, right? Who you never hear from. but the five percent or whatever you know who are trolls and assholes you hear from those guys constantly right right? so um i would get emails and i would get what really became a problem with social media 
Facebook became, I had to shut down my Facebook account, started another one, and then eventually had to walk away from that. I had to quit Facebook altogether. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Because, and I got literally, I got death threats for writing about catch and release practices for Steelhead. Right. right? I, I wrote a post about don't beach steelhead and let them bang their head on the rocks. Go out where you're in knee deep water and tail the fish and, you know, land it like a human being, you know, and if if you can't land a fish in knee deep water, you don't deserve that fish. That's, you know, that's my opinion, right? Um, It's not that damn hard, but, but, you know, I got literally, I had a guy from BC, you know, who sent me an email said, you know, if you ever show up in Terrence, I'm going to kill you. I'm like, (laughs) hang on, let me book a flight. Right. Because right. I because I get all these emails from these, of course, anonymous people. Right. Yeah. You know, tell, telling me all the terrible things they're going to do to me. And what they don't know is, first of all, I'm Irish. Right. So that's just an invitation. You know, <laughs> secondly, I'm six foot four and 270 and have decades of martial really? arts training. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to kick my ass, just book an appointment. Right. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I, uh, I was really, there was a point there where I really considered shutting down the site just because of all the, um, horrible stuff that I was getting, you know? And when was that? When you, was that kind of midway through? It really came to a head. Um, it was, I can't remember if it was which election cycle it was in. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. One of those crazy. Here's the thing. I don't, I made a decision and am committed to it and have stuck to it for the entire history of the site that there is no politics on gink and gasoline. Oh, really? No. That's not an easy thing to do. It is not an easy thing to do, but I do not, we do not get into politics. The closest we get is we will publish conservation. We'll publish conservation stuff. Yeah. Which also shouldn't be political, but it is. Mm hmm. Exactly. Right. Um, and if it is political, it should be conservatives who are in favor of it. Conservation, you would think, but that's not <laughs> the way it turns out. No. Any, anyway, we will publish um, particularly news stuff about, hey, this particular fight over this particular watershed's going on. Here are the issues. And we try to be very uh, we are very sure. even handed and fair about it. And we approach it from a standpoint of this is what fly fishers or hunters or outdoorsmen should be interested in about this issue, right? It's not, this is what you should be interested in if you're a liberal or a conservative or whatever, right? right? Now, my personal political views, um, I'm sort of an equal opportunity guy. I I think stuff that will piss everybody off, right? Because I am am essentially a centrist, right? I'm not in love with either political party that we have choices over right yeah. now, right? But I, um, I vote primarily based on two things, which are conservation and morality, right? right? Like I'm, I'm very interested in the economy doing well, that plays into my future, but not at the expense that someone else has to suffer for it, all right? No. So I'm really, I'm kind of a middle of the road guy, right? But, um, and, and again, I keep that out of the site. However, on my personal Facebook page, that's Lewis Cahill's Facebook page, not oh, yeah. the Ink and Gasoline Facebook page. But on Lewis Cahill's Facebook page, I feel like I can post whatever I like, right? And here's how I feel about that. Um, and this is why I quit Facebook. 
did you quit uh, the Lewis Cahill Facebook? Is everything or just Gink and Gasoline? I, no, um, just the just the Lewis Cahill, and okay. um, and it is still there. I, this my Facebook page is there, and Justin um, will occasionally post stuff on it. You know, but I don't go there. I don't look at it. You yeah. know, and and he runs Gink and Gasoline. I walked away from Facebook completely. Yeah. Um, several years ago, and it was the best choice I ever made hmm. um, because I was getting I was getting hate mail from dudes in the industry. You would know I'm not going to mention their names, yeah, but would get drunk and write me just attack me with thousand word Facebook yeah. messages, right? Yeah. And here's here's the way I feel about social media is that if I have a page, whether it's Instagram or it's Facebook or it's whatever, right? If I have a page. And I post something, that's my prerogative, right? If yep. you disagree with me, it is your prerogative not to follow me. It is your prerogative to walk away, to do whatever you want. But it is not your right to call me an asshole on my own page. Yeah, on right? your page, You don't right. get to do that, right? It's it's bar rules, right? You, can, yeah. you don't say anything to me on Facebook you wouldn't say to my face. Don't exactly. hide behind your anonymity. Right. Don't hide behind the thousand miles difference between us. If you want to say something to me, man up and say it. Right. Yeah. And so Facebook obviously does not work that way. And because I thought that anybody who sent me a friend request, if they were holding a fish in their profile picture, I would approve it. Right. Which was foolish. Um, So I attracted a lot of people who just, you know, were there to, you know, be haters and trolls and yeah. whatnot. And it made it it made my life really miserable for a while. And I had to, I, I thought already thought I was pretty thick skinned, but I had to I had to learn to develop an even an even thicker skin. But I will say this to anybody who is listening right now, quit Facebook. You will be so happy. It will make your life so much better. You'll thank me for it. Because my life has been a hundred times better. And the one thing I like about Facebook is the um you know, like the group part of it, right? Having a place for your community to kind of go chat. Um, you know, but you have to monitor that, of course. How do you, you know, how does your community on Geek Gasoline, is it all through the website or do you have a place where people can kind of go and chat with each other? Yeah, we well, we have a bunch of social media channels. We have, we yeah. have a Facebook page, we have Instagram, we have a Twitter. Um, you know, and I think these days the most active and this is i don't think about us but just about the platforms the most active is instagram you know and so i find that on the instagram posts we'll post a a picture from the daily post and a little excerpt or something about it and um there's always some dialogue in the comments section on the site but there's a lot of dialogue in those instagram posts which is kind of nice you know, because yeah. it's a it's a more immediate thing. The the frustrating thing about the comments section is I have to approve every comment. I even have to approve my own comments. Oh right. Right. And and particularly with me struggling with the computer lately, it frequently takes me a few days to get around to approving comments. And so people, you know, somebody's posted the same comment three times because they think that something's not working or you know, and I hate that it, there's that delay, but where we are right now, there's nothing I can do about it. But Instagram is is more immediate. People can can post yeah. a comment there and get it. They get into discussions, you know, between themselves, and so that's nice. Yeah, and Instagram is great. We've actually, I was going to touch on. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the new uh, Clubhouse app. It's this new social media app that's kind of blowing up and doubling in size. But oh, um, not. yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of brand new. It's actually only by invite only. They're doing this whole launch thing, but. Um, 
you know, we're on it and we've got a little fly fishing community we're building. I got a couple other podcasters that we're, uh, I'm working with there and it's super tiny now. There's like literally, we're, we're one of the only fly fishing clubs on there, but um, it's really cool because it's essentially kind of like a podcast where right now we could be going, we could be on Clubhouse and there, there could be people all around the world that could just jump in and they could be in the audience listening oh, and then cool. they could, then they could raise their hand and we could bring them up on stage to answer a question for like for you. We could say, Hey, we got Lewis on here. Okay. Jim's down here. Let's bring him up on stage and he can ask a question. Then Jim will come on and ask a question. And the cool thing is, is that they're doing a good job at monitoring it, you know, and things like keeping the trolls out of it. Uh, and trolls do happen, nice. but obviously. So anyway, so we're, we're working on that. But it was, it kind of brought me up because uh, Roger, who has asked about fly fishing, he's moderating with me. Um, and he talked about how he did a show with Bucky. Have you, you know, the fly fishing collaborative out there that he does, um, God, what is it? Bucky Buckstabber has, um. He basically, it's like child, uh, the abuse that's going on through all the child uh, trafficking, right? He bought, he brought somebody up on his show, which uh, Roger doesn't typically do. He's usually more instructional, but um, man, he got hate mail, right? People were like, what are you doing? You know, and like super hate mail from bringing this guy who was, wow. a, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? This is a positive thing. This is like Bucky's doing this great thing to k- take kids out of the trafficking Anyways, you yeah. know, the point is, is that I think Roger reached out to a couple of those people. And once he did, you know, those people were like, oh, yeah, no, I was way off. So I think, you know, with you, I mean, obviously, if 5% of 3 million is 150,000 people, you know, that's that would be yeah. a lot. You know what I mean? But still, I mean, the majority of those yeah. people, I'm sure it's such a small percentage of like you're hearing the, the loud people. But I'll bet you 90% of them are probably pretty positive. Right. Is that do you think that's the case? I know that's the case. Yeah. And and I know that because I, I, I'll i tell you, with this stuff going on with my eyes, I have gotten such an outpouring of support from the community in, um, in every way that it's just been amazing um, to have nice. that many people sincerely care about you is a great thing. And I meet people when I'm out. Like, I, you know, I'll be, I mean, lots of places. Somebody will recognize me and come over and say hi and we'll talk. Um, and I love that. And what has become my absolute favorite part of my job um, is hosting trips. You know, oh, yeah. I, do, I do the I do the bonefish school in the Bahamas, and I do a, um, a steelhead trip out there to the Deschutes, um, and we do some stuff in Argentina, and we're going to start doing some more domestic trips here soon. But the thing that's cool about that is that it gives me the chance to actually connect one on one and to get to know and become friends with these people who have been following the site and have had this where we've had this kind of one way relationship, you know, for years by the time they show up on a host a trip usually. Um, and then I get to really interact and fish with those people and, you know, and help them out directly. And that's what I enjoy, you know, that yeah. kind of connection with people. And the thing that's been cool about it is that, you know, and since we touched on the subject, of, of politics. I've got guys all over the political oh, yeah. spectrum that come on these trips and it's never a problem. They're no. just such a cool group and everybody's so happy to be there and about fishing. And it's like, especially when you go to a lodge, like I don't know if you've done any lodge fishing, but it can yeah. be a real mixed bag. Like you can show up at a lodge and there'd be one guy that ruins the trip for everybody, you know? Yeah. And, um, and we just, we do not have that problem on these trips. It's amazing. So that's cool. That's something that I really enjoy and it does reinforce for me along with the emails that I get and the comments and the folks that come up and say hi and stuff. It really does reinforce for me that the vast majority of the people who are out there um, reading the site are 
good people with big hearts who, who just really care about fly fishing, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's faith affirming for me. And I'm really, really happy that when I went through that bad patch that I didn't just quit, um, because I never would have gotten over that hump and gotten to that point. That's cool. Yeah, I know. And I, just to wrap this thing up, I, I, you know, you hear about the Drake uh, forum as well, right. As being one of those kind of crazy, yes. I, I don't even know. I, you know, I mean, but you hear these kind of crazy things about it. So, I mean, obviously there are yeah. places that there's some stuff going on, but, um, Hey, I want to take it to, uh, you know, nymphing We're we're kind of getting into nymph fishing, another a season, a new season, and we're breaking this out. And, Maybe we could just use this as an example. When you think of geek and gasoline, if somebody was maybe kind of new to nymph fishing, you know, maybe even fly fishing, and they're trying to learn about it, when they come to your site, what would you tell them? How do they how do they find the best tools and resources and blog posts there? Well, honestly, the easiest way, if you wanted to do something like that, there's a couple of ways you could approach it. You could come to the site and you could look at the categories and you could select the trout fishing category or the how to fly fish category. Um, and there will be a ton of posts in there. And, and by a ton, I mean hundreds of posts in yeah. there about different different nymph fishing techniques, everything from fly tying to, you know, fly to selection to different, you know, styles of nymph fishing and um you know, there's tons of content there. Another way you could, if you just wanted to be really targeted about it, is you could use the search feature um, and you could search for nymph or nymphing um, on that. Or you can even just go to Google. And if you t- type in gink and anything you can think of, you will find yeah. the gink and gasoline article about it. Right. <laughs> so oh, perfect. That, yeah. um, so that's a, that's a great way to do it, too. You can really target stuff like that. There's definitely a ton of content. Gotcha. On there because you know I'm from the southeast. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and we do not have the kind of prolific and predictable hatches in this part of the country um, that you do a lot of other places where there's trout fishing. We have we have good trout fishing here, um, but it's a little more challenging in that way. I remember the first time I I went out and fished with um, my buddy Zach Dalton um, from Sage on the um, on the South Fork. And uh, we, there was uh, two boats. There was like six of us, you know. And uh, we rode we down the river to this little riffle. I pull over and like, oh, it's just beautiful, juicy riffle that pours off into this deep hole. And I'm like, hell yes, I'm ready to go. And everybody sits down and starts opening beers and pulling out the lawn chairs and stuff. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're waiting for the hatch. And I'm like, are you your fucking mind? <laughs> yeah. You're going to sit on the bank and wait for a hatch. If you did that in Georgia, you'd be there months later. No kidding. So, yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're serious about trout fishing down here, you will get opportunities to fish dry flies. It will happen. But if you're going to fish, you know, consistently, you, your nymphing game needs to be down, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that's something we've covered a lot of content and it's like, you know, Everybody's got an opinion. Some people hate nymph fishing. Don't think it's fly fishing. Whatever. I don't care what you, what you think about it. If you want to catch fish, it's one of the most consistent ways to do it. it. And it is def, definitely is an art. Definitely requires a lot of skill. So we've we've covered it pretty extensively, You've along with everything else we can. Well, I was just going to say one of the things that bothers me about anytime people talk about fly fishing. Um, whether it's in an article or it's in a video or it's in a podcast or just a, around a table, um, people have blinders on. People say fly fishing, and what they mean is the specific type of fly fishing they do, right? 
Um, so one of the things we decided early on was we wanted to try to cover every aspect of the sport, right? And since, like I said earlier, I was supposed to be the guy behind the camera, right? And Kent was writing the content, but we needed, um, we had a lot of great trout content, a lot of great bass content, but we really needed and wanted saltwater content, right? So I just took that on like kind of intentionally because Bruce and I were buddies and he was inviting me down to fish with him a bunch. I was like, all right, I'm going to learn saltwater and I'm going to be the saltwater guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that started. And so I'll get into, if I'm writing something like, let's say I write an article about tying leaders. Right. And I talk about selecting leader material. Um, and I say, you know, fluorocarbon, is softer than hard mono. So I use hard mono in the butt section, you know, the bulk yeah. of my saltwater leader to turn over a fly. And then I use fluorocarbon tippet for the abrasion resistance, you know, and the softness mm -hmm. of that tippet to disperse the energy when it lands. And then, you know, and this is, this is a, this is a, an example of me doing something stupid. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course I get lit up in the comments section from trout guys who are like, Oh, that's bullshit. Monofilament is, you know, softer than fluorocarbon that, you know, well, yeah. that's, that's true. Monofilament is softer than fluorocarbon once it's saturated with water. But if you're saltwater fly fishing, your leader doesn't stay in the water long enough to become saturated. Hmm. So the mono is always harder than the fluorocarbon. If you're trout fishing and your leaders in the water constantly, then that monofilament has a chance to absorb water and it becomes softer. Go. So, so that's an example of me being myopic and talking about something in the context of the kind of fly fishing that I'm doing that ignores other yeah. aspects of the sport. So we try really to take a, a very holistic kind of attitude about it. And we write something about, you know, capital F fly fishing, that it's something that translates across any manner right. of fly fishing you might do. Yeah. But, and that's a great example of just in the comments. I mean, I think that's a good way it starts the discussion, right? You have a good topic, but you know, there's a lot of ways you could respond as a listener out there or, or somebody on your blog, right? You could, you could come like that. You could be like, yeah. what the fuck? This is your, you're fucked up. Or you could be like, well, I don't know. You know what I mean? You, there's ways you can disagree, but be kind of reasonable about it. You know what I mean? Like, do you see out there? I mean, obviously yeah. again, it's a small chunk of people, but probably most people are probably, if they disagree, they're fairly you know, they're fairly stable and not, and not out of control. You know, these days it's much better. We, yeah. you know, every once, every once in a while you get somebody who lights up and is, you know, inappropriate yeah. about it. But, but for the most part, yeah, they're pretty good, but everybody has an opinion. You know, I was, um, I was out one time I was getting ready for a steelhead trip and because we don't, you know, do a lot of spay fishing around here. Um, I always like to go out and practice my casting, you know, before I go on a trip. And, um, so I'm out at the river. I don't even have a fly on. I'm just casting my spay rod, you know, getting tuned up before my trip. And I, I button up and I start walking out and there's a, a woman who's got her dogs out there running around on the river and she's sitting on a tree and she says, me, she says, are you some kind of fly fishing expert? Or she said, are you some kind of expert? That's what she asked yeah. me. I said, I said, ma'am, this is fly fishing. We're all experts. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that. When you when you start you know online in the fly fishing you find out really quickly everybody's an expert. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
With more than 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee team roasts a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. That's why they've released a brand new coffee subscription program made just for you. Just visit anglerscoffee.com, provide your coffee preferences, your mailing address, and how much coffee you drink in a week, and they'll take care of the rest. There's no obligations or hidden fees, just great coffee delivered to your front door. And I'm all signed up for the subscription package. It's super easy and convenient. I don't have to do anything, and I just get a bag of coffee delivered to my door. Uh, I wanted you to check out, I just had an interview with uh, Joe as well, uh, the founder of Angler's Coffee, and he digs in deep on the background of the coffee, the quality, and everything. So so check out that episode with the founder. I love Angler's Coffee. I love what they're doing. They are just uh, a great company, and I feel proud to be able to uh, share them with you. Uh, so join me in supporting uh, a great company who supports fly fishing, uh, conservation, and great coffee. As part of Angler's Conservation Alliance, Angler's Coffee donates a portion of every sale to help conserve and protect our wild natural habitats and fish species. Right now, they're raising money for Soul River, which brings veterans and inner city youth out into the river to teach conservation, fishing skills, and more. Right now, you can get 20% off your first subscription box or gift box. Simply use the code WETFLYSWING at checkout. Just visit anglerscoffee.com and get 20% off your first subscription or gift box using WETFLYSWING at checkout. That's anglerscoffee.com. Okay, now let's get back to the show. So so back back to the nipping. So, you know, I think... You know, that makes sense. And your time, what is your home river? If you had to say, what, what's your, the river you consider your home river? Or if you can, if without telling wow. secrets or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, spot burn. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, I, it's not a secret. I, I guess I, um, so first of all, I don't get to do nearly as much fly fishing in Georgia as I would like. And that is yeah. something that I intend, intend to change in the coming year when I'm back on my feet. Um, before the eye surgery, before all that started, I was taking some kind of major trip to fish at once a month. I was gone about two weeks of every month. Um, now, of course, that schedule came to a grinding halt. So, um, so that'll be recalibrated. But one of the things I want to do is travel less and fish locally more. I will, I will tell you a stream. It's not a, it's not a secret um, by any stretch of the imagination, um, but it is uh, my favorite stream in Georgia. And it's where I really dialed in my small stream trout fishing. It's called Nuntutla Creek. Um, and there's some fairly well-known private water up there, but there's a beautiful stretch of that, um, of that stream that flows through uh, the um, Blue Ridge Wildlife Management Area. That's oh, yeah. all wild fish and just, it's just stunning. It's just a beautiful mm-hmm. place. And it's, it's not easy, you know. Um, you really have to be on your game. Uh, to catch fish there, um, you know, but I, I love the place. It's one of my favorite places to go and just spend time. So if I had to, if I had to ca- call a home water, that'd be it. That's it. How do you spell that? N-O-O-N-T-O-O-T-L-A. Nuntutla, oh, wow. just like it sounds. That's, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Nuntutla. Okay. That's how we talk down here. You know, we, uh, so I don't know if you know about the Chattahoochee River, which I live yeah. just right by the river. Um, it's also, also a famous trout fishery, um, tailwater fishery. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, uh, I don't, you know, a lot of people will not be aware that we were for decades in this huge water fight with, um, folks down in Florida, because that, that river eventually feeds, um, 
the Apalachicola area. Um, and is that fresh water coming from the river is hugely important to the oyster, oh, you know, right. oyster yeah. fishing down there. Right. So Florida was suing us for decades, you know, and there was always in the course. And this was during the time um, when uh, George W. Bush was in the White House mm-hmm. and nothing negative to say about about W. But we all know he sometimes had some unique pronunciations. Yeah, he did. Words, right. <laughs> he he <did>. was always. <laughs> Always fun to listen to him talk. And uh, the court case for this was called the Appalachicusa Tallapoosa Basin case. Oh, my right? gosh. And and I remember <laughs> at one point he had to get up and make a speech about it. And I like I made popcorn and sat in front of the TV. Like, I cannot <laughs> wait to hear him say Appalachicusa Tallapoosa. Wow. <laughs> and he never did. They, it was oh, really? they had intentionally written it out of the speech. He never made an attempt to say it. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. I, love that. <laughs> I look back at the George W. days. I'm like, man, those now look kind of like a, like a, uh, like a positive, a real, like thinking back of some of the political mess we've been in, you know what I mean? As far as, yeah. um, just the craziness. I mean, I think back to W it's like, wow, that was actually kind of a, well, I guess you had a war that was kind of crazy, but, um, but just as far as the political, you know, I mean, just as far as the political, like, you know, we have a process in politics, we go through the, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, seems like a, a different era, but, um, yeah, so we, it was, we're not more, gonna, it was a simpler time. <laughs> yeah, it was a simpler time. Exactly. Um, maybe we'll just, uh, we have a little segment. Uh, we, I always joke around, call it the rapid fire round, but, um, let's start off as we kind of, kind of wrap it out of here in the, the two twenty two, which is top two tips, top two flies, top two resources. And, and you mentioned the, the noon tutela, maybe, maybe we could just bring it there. So you do some nymph fishing there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Let's just start there. In this, um, if you take us to the river uh, and ta- think about, you know, kind of two flies, if you had to go there nymph fishing, what are your top two choices, uh, you know, whether it's today or just kind of the peak time? Yeah, it's easy. It's not technical. Um, so a yellow stimulator and about yep. a size eight, you know, um, for, for a little wild fish out there is always a good choice, especially when the um, stonefly hatches are coming off. And again, it's not fancy, but it's hard to go wrong with a hair's ear, you know, yeah. and, and maybe, a, and maybe a size 14 or so in that yep. stream is, is really effective. Just a standard, standard hair's ear, gold ribbed hair's ear. Yep. On your site, do you guys cover a lot of, um, you know, do you get into flight? T- I'm not even sure, like on the TV channel that you guys have going with YouTube and all that, is that something where you, what, what do you cover in there? Do you, do you do flight tying? There is a lot of fly tying on there. And, um, and and from a lot of different folks too. We've had you know I've done a bunch of tying videos on there, um, and uh, Justin has done some tying videos, and Kent did some file tying videos. But then for for quite a while we had um, Bob Reese. Do you know Bob from um, Cheyenne, Wyoming? Uh, Bob, Bob Reese? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, we're, who's who's he with? He's uh, his company is called Thin Air Angler. Oh, okay. And uh, you find you can find him on Instagram at Thin Air Angler, and uh, he's a guide and a fly tire. Um, out there. And for a while he was doing um, once a week for a couple of years, he was doing a fly tying video um, for us. And you can find those on the site and they're just, they're just awesome. Um, and also Herman Degala out in um, Colorado has done some great stillwater fly tying videos for yep. it. And um, Jeff Hickman um, out there yeah. where you are has done oh, some yeah. great steelhead stuff. And um and my bu- good buddy Andrew Grillos, which who I'm gonna um, 
I'm going to plug. I don't know if you are aware about Andrew's situation. No, this is amazing. You know what's amazing about this, uh, Lewis, is that you're throwing out a lot of names. And I've interviewed, we have over 200 episodes, and but you're throwing out a bunch of names that I don't know of. So this is exciting. I think I'm going to have to connect with some of those uh, people. You, sh- you should be checking these people out. And Andrew, Andrew's going to be on our podcast pretty quickly. But if you know flies like the Hippie Stomper or the um, the Bob Gnarly. or mm-hmm. I mean, Oh, nice. He's tied tied some of the most kick-ass fly patterns out there. And uh, Andrew's just one of the best, big-hearted, most big-hearted people that I know. And um, he um, he's a brilliant guy. He's a mechanical engineer. His job, he designs instruments that study subatomic particle movement. Like, I can barely say that sentence. Yeah. Much less tell you you what it means. But um, about a month ago, or two months ago now, I guess, he suffered a major stroke. And this is a, he's a young, healthy dude. He, he ran a hundred mile marathon two weeks before the stroke hit and he had several brain surgeries and is back to the level of learning to talk and walk and tie his shoes again, you know? And uh, one of, one of the best fly tires alive. And he's been, um, he's been posting on Instagram a ton lately. He started back tying and he's because he just couldn't physically do it, you know? He started tying San Juan worms yeah. and he's been just a guy who's known as a big fly tire. He's posting every day pictures of his worm flies because he's so excited to be back sitting at the vice. Wow. You know? And um, anyway, there's a great, if you're interested, if you know, Andrew, if you know of his flies and you're interested in helping, there's a great GoFundMe page. Oh, perfect. Um, for, for him right now. That's, that's helping has raised about $150,000 um, for it to, to cover some of his medical bills, which are incredibly extensive. And Jesus. of course he's not able to work. And yeah, yeah. but um, great dude and something worth, worth. Cool. So anyway, cool. sorry, I digress. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I'll put a link into the show notes out to that and get the word out for sure on, on the GoFundMe site. That's awesome. Um, cool. Yeah, this is always Lewis. You know, it's it's awesome when I get people, uh, you know, like yourself on here that, you know, there's so much, you know, we could chat about here that, um, and in fact, I talked to my buddy, uh, Greg Keenan over at the Fly Fishing Insider. I think you were on his podcast yeah. a while back. And he yeah, said, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Greg, uh, Greg said that I think he said your podcast is still one of his most um, listened to. So, you know what I mean? Like, you definitely resonate oh, with really? it. Yeah. Yeah. He just mentioned that that last week he, I told him you were coming on. He's like, yeah, man, it's still, I think it's still number one. So it just shows you, you know, you got, uh, you got a good following out there, which is cool. Um, so yeah, just quickly right again, I've, I've, t- I've gone off track, which I do, uh, but, uh, G and G TV, just uh, quickly describe, uh, tell us about that. Is it, is it, um, you know, what, what do we need to know about that? Well, it's uh, the first thing you need to know about it is it's kind of unfortunately half baked at this point. Right. (laughs) So, so we, uh, we started off, um, a couple of years ago, I I decided, all right, we got to get serious about YouTube because when YouTube is a different thing today when it was, than it was when we started off. And so I had a bunch of, um, videos on YouTube, but I used them just to populate on the site. So they weren't, they weren't even public on YouTube because YouTube was not to us, to us, we were like, our, our advertisers are supporting us, you know, their ads are on the site. We need to draw people to the site, you know, to support them. Right. So yeah. we weren't trying to, you know, drive people to YouTube. Well, now YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet. So, um, it's, it's 
you know, requires a different approach. So we started putting a lot more, um, and it's mostly instructional stuff, although there are some like travel pieces and stuff on there. There's a one I'm particularly proud of is the, um, the, uh, golden trout in the wind river video is, mm. was a whole cool. lot of fun. And, um, and, and it's super cool. But, um, anyway, so we started really ramping up the video production, um, and, you know, putting those things out and put it, making it more public. And then the idea was that there's this half done redesign of Gink and Gasoline. Like we were, we were halfway through it when my eye collapsed. Oh, right. So, um, yeah, so it just got kind of put on hold and there's the whole, the idea was that there'd be this whole page on Gink and Gasoline of Gink and Gasoline TV, where those sites that were on YouTube will populate onto the site and we had an interface there that you could go through them and watch them. Um, but at this point in the, in the interim, YouTube has changed so much that I now don't know that that's going to be a major part of the site that, uh, that, you know, G and G TV is probably just going to live on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it'll, it'll be on the site, but that, you know, it certainly is getting more traffic on YouTube and it's crazy because we don't even, we have advertising on YouTube. Um, but, I'm, I don't actually get paid for it because when we set it up, long story, I got a buddy who uh, shoots video for me who set up the YouTube account and um, just used his information, his address. And then he had a really ugly divorce and moved and sold the house. And so in order for you to get a check from YouTube, they have to send you a piece of mail to your address confirming that that's oh, right. where the checks need to go to. And there's no way to change that address on the YouTube interface. So they send it to my buddy's old house where he doesn't even live anymore. So YouTube owes me a ton of money that I have no way to collect. <laughs> no way. Like, oh my God. Again, not motivated enough by money. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. Okay, cool. So that gives a little sip. Let's get back to the, the, the 222. So, so we had the two flies and then yeah. what about um, a couple of tips and let's, let's maybe just keep it. If we can think nymph, uh, nymphing, what would be a couple of tips out there if you, if you had for, um, or I guess maybe just for that river, what would you tell somebody if it was their first time out there? Well, I'll give you one tip, which is a, it's a good general, a good general tip that'll work anywhere you fish. And that yeah. is that no matter what, what kind of fishing you're doing, even if you're fishing nymphs right off your rod tip, casting matters, right? And this is, I think that as, as a community or, the, or as, a, as an industry, I should say, the fly fishing industry has done a really good job of telling people who are new to the sport, you know, you don't have to be a great caster to get out and catch fish. Get out there and yeah. start fishing, right? right. Um, and we've done such a good job of that that we have to an extent done a disservice to the community by not um, emphasizing how important it is to actually learn some good casting technique. So my first nymphing um, technique or uh, tip would be um, don't drop your rod tip. Because Mm -hmm. if when you're presenting the fly, you drop your rod tip, what happens is you drop your line on the water. And let's say you're fishing the far seam on the other side of the current and you drop that rod on the water you're already screwed as far as getting a new, a good drift, right? Because the yeah. water is going to instantly start dragging that fly line. Your fly is not going to sink. It's not going to move naturally. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you stop that rod tip high and hard, you know, and actually make a loop with the cast, then you can drop just the fly and you can high stick and keep all that line off the water and you'll get a much more natural drift and you'll catch a lot more fish. Right. Perfect. Um, and the other, the other tip I will tell you that, um, any anybody 
who has fly fished for any amount of time knows is that dialing in your weight when nymphing mm. is hugely important, right? Yeah. Dialing in the amount of weight you're using and where you're using it, you know? So typically when I'm nymph fishing, I always fish a two fly rig unless there's yep. regulations that say you can't, right? Um, I'll fish two flies and I will weight those flies according to how I want that team to sink, right? And generally speaking, I find that you need more weight than you think, you know, and I'll, and I'll, yeah. I'll put that first weight, the heavy weight, um, 12 to 16 inches above the lead fly, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, like I'll use, you know, I mean, it just depends on what water you're fishing, how fast it is, how deep it is. But if you're questioning, oh, should I put on one split shot or two, put, put on two. two. And if you're, and if you're hanging up on the bottom all the time, take one off, yeah. you know, but then the other thing that that people don't think about a lot of times is that, you know, sometimes like on that on that um, trailing fly, I will, you know, I'll fish a bead head or something that has a little bit more sink to it. But frequently you get a better presentation if you use a weightless fly and you put a real small split shot between the two flies. Oh, nice. You get you'll get better action on the overall rig. So, again, it depends on the water you're fishing. But I would say um, really study dialing in your weight and figuring out how much weight you need for different water conditions and where that weight needs to be uh, to get the best presentation of those flies. Perfect. All right. Great. That's, those are, those are good tips. And then, and then as far as resources, um, you know, other than what you guys have going, uh, you know, where would you direct somebody or, you know, as far as nymphing or kind of some, some resources for nymph fishing? Um, Devin Olson has a great yeah. series on, on, um, Euro nymphing, which I'm not a big Euro nympher. Like I'll, I'll do it sometimes. Justin is much more into that than I am. You know, I kind of, my nymph fishing, I tend to be kind of a, a hybrid sort of guy. Like yeah, I, I fish. Yeah. I fish a lot like Euro nymphers fish, but I, I use the little, um, New Zealand wool strike indicators. Mm -hmm. which that's I've tried everything, but that's, that's my favorite. I'll use a real small one. Of those. And I like them because they'll, they'll actually sink. So mm -hmm. they don't, um, they don't mess with your drift as much, you know, but you can still see them. And, and for me, yeah. especially at this point in my life, man, being able to see that thing is, is huge. Right. Um, yeah. but I'm, but I, I tend to high stick and, you know, and work the drift much like, a, um, much like a, a, a urine nymph for wood, mm -hmm. but Devin's got some, um, I, I can't, the thing is, I can't remember right now what the name of it is, but he's got a video yeah. series. Yeah, no, we've talked about that before. Him and uh, Gilbert, uh, uh, Gilbert and the crew. Yeah, I'll put a link out to that. And, yeah, yeah. But his site, yes, Tactical Fly Fisher. You can go to yeah. Tactical Fly Fisher and find it. Great resource. The other thing I will say is, if you're, that's pretty in depth and and like dead nuts technical, right? If you're more of a beginner um, and you're trying to, you know, really just figure out the basics. I don't think anybody does a better job than Tom Rosenbauer. Yeah. You know, at, yeah re awesome. at really educating beginners. So you can yep. go on the Orvis site and you can find some of Tom's videos and they're on YouTube as well. And um, yeah, Tom just does a phenomenal job with that. Yep. Job. Yeah, totally. Tom's awesome. Okay. Well, let's keep this uh, rapid fire going here. And um, so a couple yeah. of couple of quick ones before we get out of here. So, you know, obviously you start out as a photographer and, you know, writing has become a big thing. Are you now, do you consider yourself a better uh, photographer or a better writer? 
<laughs> I don't know if I consider myself a photographer at all anymore. Oh, really? Well, you were, weren't you? I mean, you're a pro at one point. Do you lose it? Do you lose that skill? Uh, I don't know. Is I guess the the fair answer because I haven't I haven't been able to practice it much lately yeah. because of my eye situation. I can't, you know it's it's very it's very challenging. Take us back to when you were doing a lot of photography and, and writing. Right, you were doing both. Did you feel like you were kind of yeah. better at one or the other? Well, I've I've been a photographer for fifty years, you know, and you you figure that stuff out. And honestly, the type of photography I practiced, you know professionally, um, commercial advertising photography, you know, I was, um, I was very skilled at it. Um, so I, you know, I'm proud of that. And you can go, go to lewiscahill.com. You can see examples of both fishing photography and, you know, advertising photography. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, in all fairness, I think that I, you know, I'm better at that. I've always had an interest in writing and I did actually, um, I went to school. I, t- I went to night school at Emory to learn to write. Um, you know, for, oh, wow. to write for the site, you know, and, um, and I'm proud of my writing. I'm proud of, I'm proud of what I do. Um, and I get a lot of support for it, but in, in my core, I'm a visual artist. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes, that makes sense. Okay. Well, let's see. I think we've, we've touched on a little bit of, uh, you know, there's a f- always a few things I leave on the table. Um, I'm sure we'll get some, uh, <laughs> sure. some people, some people, <laughs> some people that know you well, they're going to, we might get some hate mail for whatever we left out, but uh, maybe we'll get you on again down the line. Uh, well, you know, when you have things going, the, the guitar thing, you know, I, we're, we're not going to dig into here, I guess, but um, maybe just quickly talk about the guitar. How, what, what do you build? What, what do you make in there? What are your, what's your style? So I'm, I make electric guitars. Oh, cool. Like Stratocaster sort of stuff? So there's, in guitars, there's like two styles of electric guitar making. There's the Fender type instruments and there's the Gibson type instruments, okay. you know? And the um, the Fender type instruments that I make are more like Telecasters, you know? Okay. I'm not, I'm not really a, a big Strat guy. Um, but then I, I also, I make a lot of um, the more gibson style instruments which if you're into guitars you kind of know what that means set necks rather than bolt on necks break angles rather than flat string planes you know okay. tilted back headstocks is um a, a more hollow instruments and stuff oh cool um but i i just started doing it because it was something that was on my list of i've always wanted to do i'm I, i'm the kind of person i have to be learning something new all the time or i get really grumpy right so mm-hmm. i just decided to get into it. And I, I made the first guitar out of some scrap lumber I had laying around. I didn't even go buy wood for it, you know, and it, it turned out good. I thought it was going to be a disaster, but it turned out nice. And so I made a hmm. second one. I actually bought some nice wood for it. And I thought, well, I need to get a case for this. So I took it to the shop to find a case that would fit it. And the guys at the shop freaked out about it. And, um, I left with an order. So, um, it was one another one of those things I backed into. I have a shop called Earthshaking Music here in Atlanta that that handles sells my instruments, um, and they and I've done some custom stuff through them. But I also build instruments and just put them in the store for sale, um, and it's been awesome because it you know yeah. I, I love doing it and it it keeps me busy. And if if you're interested in that and want to see it, you can go on Instagram and look up the Telecaster Diaries. That's my Instagram oh, cool. feed at the Telecaster yeah. Diaries. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'll put a link in, into that as well. So, okay, and then, um, and just quickly, so music-wise, just give us what, what's your favorite uh, band or type of music. <laughs> I'm a I'm a little all over the place. Um, yeah. To be honest with you, I I love like Mississippi Hill Country Blues. 
Oh, you know, people like Mississippi, Fred McDowell, R.L. Burnside, you know, those those are the kind of things that really that's really in my soul, you know, as a as a Southerner that's in there. Is that old school stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very old. I mean, running from like, you know, as far back as the 1930s up through the 1960s. Oh, wow. Could we find could you go online and find a video or some sort of audio with that style? Absolutely. Go. Go yeah. on YouTube and do a search for Mississippi Fred McDowell, and uh, okay. you'll be blown away. The, the style, so the style of, of Mississippi Hill Country Blues is it's not a chord progression like a normal song or like a normal blues song. There's only yeah. one chord, right? It doesn't. It never changes. It never goes like you know one four five, right? It's just one, right? But it it trans it it focuses on what they call the hypnotic groove right they create these beautiful complex circular rhythms that just like whip you into a trance like a a guy who does that currently um would be otis taylor like you go look up otis taylor you know he's he's just amazing he calls it trance blues but it's hill country blues that's that's what it is and um and if you go, like, if you watch, go on YouTube, look up um, Mississippi for Ed McDowell, and there's a video of him playing a, called, a song called Shake Em On Down. Mm-hmm. And you watch this guy, and unlike, you know, rock guitarists who their left hand's all over the neck doing all yeah. this crazy stuff, right? It looks like his left hand is doing nothing. No right? kidding. It's just kind of hovering. He wears a little short slide on his pinky that he plays the bottom strings with. And... Um, you know, and he's doing that thing where he's a company, he's playing bass with his thumb, you know, and playing melody yeah. with his, you know, with his fingers. And the the way he shifts through rhythms are super, super complicated and just amazing. And when I started playing guitar and I took some guitar lessons and I went to, um, I had a guitar teacher who was a jazz guy, really technical, you know, good guitar player. And I told him, so I want to learn how to play this song. And he's like, oh, that's not complicated. You can play that. And he's like, hey, let, let's see. And he sits down and starts messing with it. And 30 minutes later, he goes, I have no idea how he does that. Hmm. <laughs> there you go. It's just like magic. That's cool. Yeah, Lewis, just wanted to uh, thank you for coming on uh, and providing all the information and, and the resource. Geek and Gasoline over the years has been awesome. And I'm excited to see what you guys have going, especially the podcast and everything new. So, so there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, go to wetflyswing.com slash 206. Head over to uh, Clubhouse. Uh, there's a new Clubhouse app that's out there, and we are just testing out some new live podcasting. So... Um, if you want to join, send me a DM or message and I can uh, get you an invite. Um, uh, or you just go to clubhouse, uh, wetflyswing.com slash clubhouse and you can check out uh, the newest uh, thing we have coming up here. So no problem if you missed this, by the way. These episodes that we do live, we actually post them on the podcast later. Uh, but it is a chance to raise your hand and come up on stage and talk to um, talk to the guests in person, which is a really cool thing. So. Thanks again for checking out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up this soon. Hope maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.